Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is domestic violence. Let's talk now with this week's guest. Will you please introduce? Hi, my name is Joni, and I'm a survivor of domestic violence. All right, so Joni, let's start. Let's just hear your story. Well, I met my husband or ex-husband when I was on a gap year in between my undergrad and grad school. He was about two years older than I am. He was very charming, very interested and interesting. I felt like I could pretty much talk to him about anything. I had gotten along really well with his friends, and we had met through a mutual friend that he had gone to school with, and everything seemed great. I was madly in love with him. We dated for two years, and then he proposed to me, and I made him wait until I finished my master's degree in education. So after four years of being together and being engaged total, we got married, and Almost right away, he was a different person. So I'm really sorry, Joni, just stop you right there. Just four years before you were married, you just said he was a different person when you got married. But is there anything while he was, even while you were dating him, that you could look back now and say, okay, well, I didn't recognize this about him then, or it just really was simply a change after you got married? It was a little bit of both. I could see some warning signs in his alcohol use but I didn't think that it was as large of a problem as it actually was. And as you said, looking back, I do see times and many different situations where he was exerting control over me, where as a young person in their early to mid twenties, they wouldn't necessarily see it as something controlling. Right. But now after having been able to have a retrospective view of the relationship they were definite warning signs, yes. Right. Maybe for the benefit of any young people that might be listening and don't even know what those look like, what, what are some of those things you can see now that if you have this, if someone's dating you and they're doing this, this could be a warning sign? Yes, definitely. If someone is hiding drug or alcohol use from you, you might hear things from friends or might have heard things that they tout about their past about oh gosh, yeah, I was super duper drunk and I went in and took my SATs and got a great score. Or times like that when being boastful about being intoxicated, but getting away with it or those sorts of things are definite indicators that that person probably has an issue with alcohol or drugs of some sort. Right. Another sort of control would be telling you not to hang out with certain people or telling you where your partner might say to you, I don't think so-and-so likes me, so therefore I don't like them. Or purposefully leaving my friends out of the equation of doing things socially. And we did most social things with his friends rather than my own, right? which alienated me from my own friends. So those are some big warning signs that I didn't see. You know, as a young person, I saw it as, oh, I'm gaining a new friend group. Right. But if you're isolated to only your partner's friends, 
that's not fostering good relationships with people that you might have known for decades before your partner and who probably know you better than your partner does. Right. That's that kind of relationship control is the kind of thing we, we've heard about already in, in previous weeks. That's a common pattern. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So back to your story. You got married after four years. Mm-hmm. And for, as far as you knew at this point, things were great until you got married. So yes, we, we got married and I noticed as I was walking down the aisle that he was intoxicated and it turned out that he was both drunk and high at our wedding ceremony. And that had happened before the ceremony had even begun. You know, we had a lovely reception and afterwards he invited all of his friends and a few of mine back to our hotel suite. And at about one o'clock in the morning to get out of my wedding dress and I need to go to bed. And he said, okay, I'll be in soon. So, I mean, I went in, I got out of my own dress and got into a shower and into bed by myself on my wedding night. Wow. And there was drug use in the hotel suite and everything like that. And it was a big disappointment. It was a very big disappointment. So I'm sorry. So, so drug use, your friends were part of that or your friends told you later and they left or. Well, shortly after the friends had come back to the hotel suite, someone brought out marijuana. So his friends and he rolled a joint and went into the ensuite bathroom and smoked the joint and his own mother was there. So yeah, it was a really big letdown. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the biggest days of our lives together. And it was more about him having a big party with his friends and then in a tertiary way, celebrating our union. Right. You know, before the wedding, we had planned our honeymoon and things like that. And it was going to be lovely. We were both excited about where we were going. We waited a week between the wedding and the honeymoon. And the entire week that we had, you know, quote, off from wedding things, we spent with his friends and not necessarily just with one another. And then on the honeymoon, you know, he just basically told me, I don't want to do what you want to do. This is what I want to do. And so we ended up doing mostly what he wanted to do. Right. It was very controlling there. Yeah. We had a difficult first year. We moved away from our families. And I saw it as an opportunity for us to grow closer together, but I think it put a fair rift in between us. I think because he grew to resent me for, because it was my job that took us away from our families. When we moved back a year later, we got in to the airport quite late and my parents picked us up. We got home, I think at about midnight or so, and immediately one of his friends came and picked him up for a welcome back home party. Wow. And I was told that I could come along, but I wasn't invited. Not that I, I wasn't told I wasn't invited, but I was just told I could come along if I wanted to. It was another party for him and his friends. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like I said, we, we went through several hardships very early on in our marriage, We had two serious medical injuries. He had one and then I had one shortly thereafter, about a year later. And I found out when he had his medical emergency that he was cheating on me. I found a letter from another woman in his office and he tried to play it off as her being another friend. And obviously it was not a letter that a friend would write to a friend. So I confronted him about that, but he kept putting off talking about it forever. 
never wanted to talk about it, but I have a sense that he had extramarital relationships and all sorts of other relationships, sexual, non-sexual, while we were together with other women, which really undermined my self-esteem for a very, very long time after I found out about it. And that was year two of us being married out of seven years. So I think the erosion of my trust was what made me cling to him even more. And that he liked my being dependent upon him. And so then when I had my medical emergency, I was completely counting on him and he let me down. So I was incapacitated for several months and he wasn't necessarily even willing to take time off of work to help nurse me and stay at home with me when I needed someone with me at all times. So I ended up having to stay with my parents for about four or five months. Wow. Your husband wasn't willing to sit by your side while you're completely incapacitated from some medical emergency. Right. And I mean, when he had his, I was spending the night at the hospital. I had just gotten a new job and they had said, please take the time off and be with your husband. Thank God, because, you know, they're a wonderful establishment, but it just wasn't reciprocated when I needed him. Eventually, it led to a lot of emotional and even mental instability in me because there were times when we would go to the doctor for follow-ups for my medical condition, and he would tell the doctor that I was psychotic and that I needed to be on antidepressants and other things like that. So that's another big indicator. If your partner is talking to your doctor without you, that is not okay because of HIPAA, because of all sorts of laws, but especially if your partner is pushing for you to be medicated in a way that you are not okay with, that's another way of controlling you to make you pliable. And that's a side effect of a lot of antidepressants is you kind of lose your own drive. But that's pretty much what he wanted was for me to be a zombie. Right. But my big revelation really came when my pastor had said to me, because I was lamenting, you know, how am I going to help him? How am I going to help this man who I love get to heaven? Because the alcohol and the drug use persisted heavily to the point where he received three OVIs during our marriage within a span of four years. So I had said to my pastor, I said, what can I do to help him? It's my purpose now that I'm his wife to help him get to heaven. And he said, there's nothing you can do because he doesn't want help. And he said, I'm going to give you kind of a harsh ultimatum. He said, either you can stay with him and he will kill you and you'll become a saint, or you can take the steps and get out, get healthy and achieve sainthood through happiness. Right. And that was my choice. Wow. It took more than a year and a lot of counseling through my church with the pastor who performed our marriage ceremony and also with the current pastor at my church to really counsel me and to help me through this process. Because in the church, marriage is for life. Right. And that was something that was really weighing on me, on my conscience. Is this right? Should I be doing this? But to hear those words from a man that I really, truly respect and who is a very holy person, that was the kick in the pants. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your story, Joni. A few weeks ago when we spoke to the first person from the Secretariat for the USCCB, and she was talking about that very poor for the people who are involved in the Catholic Church specifically. 
about the permanence of marriage and how they, even if usually it's the, doesn't have to be the husband, it's usually the husband, but if the spouse in any case is being abusive in some way that they think that they're just stuck with that, they're married and that's the way it is. But the church does teach that you need to be safe. You don't need to stay in a marriage where the other person is being abusive. So I'm glad that your pastor knew that and was able to give you good advice. Not everyone's story is like that. So obviously you were going to church. You had the the same pastor that married you, you know, many years later. Was your husband also attending church or was it only you? No, he was coming with me to my parish. He was even elected to parish council and was, for all intents and purposes, acting like a good Catholic, but he does not have faith. Right. But I mean... As I'm sure you know, there's a pastor cannot stop two people from getting married. So all of the warning signs that he saw, he could voice to me, but it was my free will, you know, to get up and marry this man. Right. So your pastor was actually advising you against getting married early on? No, he didn't. There were several questions that he asked during pre-cana that made me think maybe this isn't the right person for me. But being young and being, you know, naive, it was like, oh, he'll change. (laughs) Do you remember and are you willing to share what some of those questions were? Yes. One of the questions was, you know, are you ready and willing to accept children into the marriage? And I said, yes, of course. And he said, no, we're going to wait. Right. That's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Another indicator that my pastor had shared with me was how recalcitrant my ex was about sharing financial information with me which is another huge sign of the control aspect of a relationship. So it's imperative that you know about each other's finances before you enter into a union. Right. You had your own job. Did he force you to have a joint account and you know have control over the finances while you were married kind of a thing as well? I didn't know how much money he actually made until year three of our marriage when I had to do the taxes because he was incapacitated. Oh, And in front of my parents and my sisters, he did say repeatedly, she doesn't need to know how much money I make. And then, you know, after we got married, I said, all right, now that we both have jobs and we have incomes, we need to sit down and we need to make a household budget. Right. And he told me, okay, we'll do this. Okay, we'll do this until finally I badgered him. And then he exploded on me and said, no, we don't need a budget. I'm taking care of things and everything is going to be fine without sharing the information with me, you know, and the type of language that he used really made me feel diminished in a mental capacity in saying, you know, oh, well, you're not good at math. So why would I sit down and do a budget with you sort of thing? And it was only half joking. Right. And it wasn't just that. It was the language that he used when he spoke to me. It was his tone of voice. You know, and after we would have a serious discussion, he would always say, well, maybe I'm a sociopath. I'm probably a sociopath, you know, and all of these deprecating things that are probably true (laughs) or are just indicators that he himself is just not okay with himself. And then being projected on me was very damaging. Right. So he was not physically abusive to you. Is that right? He was only on two occasions, but he was under the influence. Not but, and he was under the influence. Right. We don't need to excuse it. Do you have any interest in sharing those two occasions? Not particularly. I mean, one of them, it wasn't anything terrible. Well, it is, it's all terrible. I don't know why I'm diminishing it, but 
I found that he had been taking my medication and either taking it himself illegally or either selling it or giving it to people. And I confronted him about this, not knowing that he was both drunk and high. You know, he accused me of accusing. It was a lot of back and forth. And the way that he argues is very circuitous. And so things come back and back and back until you feel like you are crazy, especially in the way that he argues with people or, or you know, talks to them. Until finally, you know, I just said, I need you to stop stealing my medication because it's illegal. And he smacked me. Wow. And basically tried to pull the what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine sort of thing. Right. But that's one of the occasions. Okay. So, Joni, for those who might be listening to this and think, well, okay, it didn't sound like it was the best husband, you know, one has ever had, but it wasn't particularly physical. He wasn't sending you to the hospital with beatings. So how is this in the category of domestic violence, right? What, what was so awful about this? Not being able to be myself. And that is not true to who I am as a Catholic woman. And it wasn't particularly physically violent. However, that doesn't mean that it wasn't emotionally or mentally violent. Abuse isn't always physical. And when someone is tearing you down as a human being, that's never okay because we're all children of God. And that's something that I held dear and I still hold dear. But of the two times that he was violent with me, that seemed kind of the least of my worries. The most of my worries were, okay, how am I not going to kill myself? Because those were thoughts that were going through my head. This is terrible. And I want to die because of the financial, because of the emotional, because of the social control that he had over me. I didn't feel like myself. I had friends and family tell me, I don't know you anymore. Yeah, Joni, your story is particularly relevant here. Two weeks ago, we heard from someone who was a victim of some serious physical violence as well as emotional violence. And she actually said it was at a point where I would prefer to get beaten than to hear the horribly demeaning comments that he would make about me that would just make me feel entirely worthless. So for her, as bad as the physical violence was, the emotional violence was more devastating to her. And now she just didn't feel like it was worth being alive. So she was actually speaking to that part of it as well. So emotional abuse is a very serious kind of abuse, even if it doesn't leave marks on the outside of the body. So if there's someone listening, maybe who was in a relationship, and this could be particularly relevant because they might be thinking, well, you know, the person I'm with doesn't treat me well. I don't feel like myself. I feel poorly, but he doesn't hit me. So do I just need to suck this up? Do I just need to deal with this? Or what advice do you have for someone who might be questioning, well, gosh, I wonder if this is something that I need to do something about? First of all, pray. And second of all, seriously evaluate how your partner makes you feel about yourself. Knowing that you are a child of God, knowing that you are an individual, do you feel differently now than you did before you met this person or before you got into a serious relationship? Some other advice could be talk to friends who knew you before this person. Ask if they think that you are different and if so, how? Because that can be very telling. 
if you have friends that you trust, if you have your parents that are around and that you trust, ask them because those are the people who know you usually a lot longer and then also better than your partner in different ways. I stopped hanging out with my friends and I've recently regained friendships with people who stopped talking to me because they didn't like him and they didn't like who I had become because of him. Right. So those are some outlets and some resources that you can use, but also go to your pastor, go to your church. I know there are different support groups around, especially in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati that are invaluable to any person who even thinks that they might be in an abusive relationship, talk to someone about it. You Even, you know, an outside third party can give you some great insight saying, well, these are indicators that show this and such, but never ever feel like you're without help because you are with help. Right. And one of the things that we've mentioned on each one of the podcasts, if you haven't heard the other ones before, is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can find that online at thehotline.org. It's simply thehotline.org. And it's a window that you can do a chat 24-7. And it's got an immediate closed window on it in case somebody walks in the room at the moment you're looking on it. Or if you just want to write down the number, it's 1-800-799-SAFE. 7233, but that's safe. 1-800-799-SAFE. That's the phone number. You get somebody who can talk with you about these things that Joni's referring to. Or if it's a situation where you're concerned about your physical safety of actually getting out of the house, they can help you with that. Or if it's just a matter of talking with somebody about these are the signs, this is what's happening. You know, is this a situation that I needed to get out of? They can help you through that. And they can tell you and put you in touch with local resources, whether you're in Cincinnati or Dayton or California, wherever you might be. 1-800-799-SAFE. It's a good number to know about. So Joni, anything else you want to share either about your story or to people who might be listening and need to know more about the topic of domestic violence? My last comments would just be, it's not always physical, but have hope. I know that this is the year of faith, but have hope, have faith, and through God's grace, you will get through it. Right. Okay, so Joni, we talked about how your pastor advised you to and you took him up on that advice ultimately. I guess you're glad you did that. But do you want to share what happened and how hard was it and how controlling was he and trying to keep you from getting away and how did that go? It was difficult at first because I tried to have discussions with him about how and why I was feeling very unsatisfied with our relationship and the issues that I had seen in his behavior, et cetera. And he was never really willing to talk about things. And like I had said before, he was very circuitous in the way that he spoke. He's a very, very intelligent person, but knows how to spin things to where he just doesn't take very much onus for his own actions. But after having realized that our discussions were futile, I really just had to say, listen, I'm finished. I can't do this anymore because I'm losing myself. I love you. You will always be a big part of my life, but I can't be married to you any longer. And that day, my parents came over and helped me move out of the house. And that's pretty much how it happened. But it's been a year, and I'm feeling a lot more like myself. Like I had said before, I've rekindled some friendships with people who had stopped hanging out with me because of my association with him. I'm meeting new people. I'm extremely happy. And I'm 
living the faith life that I was kind of denied when I was with him because he didn't necessarily really want to be a part of the church community that I'm a part of. And so I'm able to go to church and say, yes, I'll volunteer and do this, not, oh, let me check with my husband first sort of thing. So I'm doing really well. I'm very happy. And I'm here by the grace of God. All right. Well, Joni, thanks for talking with us today about the evil of domestic violence, for sharing your story, particularly in your helping us know that even when it's not as physical as some other situation, it's still abuse. It's still very damaging and very unacceptable to have to live with and helping us to understand what it is that we can do to raise awareness and help those who are trapped in unsafe or unacceptable situations. Thank you so much. I appreciate being a part of this and I really thank you so much for your time. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website and view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.